0: Alright, tonight we are going to keep going with uh, with Job. Uh, those of you that have been with us, you need to go ahead and realize that we'll probably be here for a year talking about Job. This is a big story. It's a long story, but it's good. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 2 tonight. We're going to pick up a little bit of what we did last week, uh, just to kind of rehearse some things. But before we get started, I'm going to have somebody read. We're going to read all of the scriptures that we'll cover tonight, and maybe a couple more that I probably won't even have a chance to get to or touch on. So whoever would like to, I'd like for one of you to stand up and uh, read Job chapter 2. We're going to read verse 9 through 13. Verse 9 through 13. Whichever one of you would like to read that for us. Then
1: said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place. Eliphaz, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite." And Zophar so the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great.
0: That's right. Now, we, we come to this place in Job's story uh, where Satan has attacked him once again. Now, we've already been through round one, and we've talked about round two. Uh, somebody tell me real quick, what's the difference between round one and round two?
2: Round one, he couldn't touch his body. Round
0: one, he could not touch his body. Round two, God gave, him the, he gave Satan the permission to touch his body, but there was a limitation. Kill him. He couldn't kill him. Yeah. So he could bring him down to the point of death but he couldn't let him, you know, he couldn't bring him to death. Uh, so this is where we're at. Now, this time, the attack on his body uh, is something that's very, very, very serious. Now, Job's body, like we talked about last week, he's covered in boils. And the Bible calls it painful sores. We spoke a little bit about how bad this was, how that these boils are actually bursting open, oozing with pus. Some even have, you know, they've got worms growing out of them because they because. Flies and junk are laying maggots in his wounds and uh, they're growing in his mouth. His, his breath stank. It, it was so bad that it actually began to change the color of his skin. Uh, it was really, really bad thing. If you want to get more about that, go out there on the website. We have our podcast out there and you can hear all of last week's message and that will catch you up real quick on, on that. Now, Job has literally lost everything. His wealth is gone. His health is on the decline. His children are dead. It seems like everything he has lost except his wife and three friends. That's what we're talking about right here at the end of chapter 2. Now, as we said earlier, or as we said last time, Job's wife has really gotten a rough end of the deal here. I think a lot of times when we talk about Job's wife, uh, down through the years, I know I have, as I've heard preachers talk about her preach on her, uh, she really gets a rough, rough end of the deal. Just, just like Thomas did. Y'all remember when Jesus, after Jesus, has risen from the dead, he goes and he shows himself to his disciples, and uh, he comes into the room, and the disciples are sitting around the table there, everybody except who? Thomas. Judas. Judas is gone. Judas is dead at this time, right? He hung himself. Thomas isn't there the first time. They're like, hey, we saw Jesus. He's like, man, I, don't, I won't believe it unless I see it. So Jesus shows up the second time, right? And everybody's there, including Thomas, Thomas is uh, there and he sees Jesus show. He's like, hey, I, I'm not going to believe unless I... What did he say the first time? Unless I put my fingers in the hole, unless I touch the side that was slit open. And Jesus shows up. He's like, hey, hey, Thomas, touch my hands. Hey, touch my side, right? Everybody calls him what? Doubting, Doubting. Doubting Thomas. Would you be any different? They get the rough end of the deal. I think a lot of us would be like, you know, people come to us today and they tell us these unbelievable things. You know what we say? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Same thing that happened back then. Hey, we just saw a dead guy rise from the dead. He's walking around. He just walks through doors. What do you think Thomas is going to say? Man, whatever. Never seen nothing like that. I saw the guy die, right? He's doubting, but he kind of catches the rough end of the deal a lot of times. And I think Job's wife is the same way. But let's, let's just consider again, what what has Job's wife been through? What has she been through? Her, she's been through everything. Job, Job is we, we say, well, Job been through has been through this, and Job's been through that. But she's been right there the entire time. She was a woman who who enjoyed the wealth and the prestige of a husband that the Bible says was the greatest man in all the east. She's she's had luxury living. But hey, let's let's get away from the material side of it. Let's back up and let's just realize that this woman has just lost ten kids. She's just had ten funerals. Do you think this woman's a little bit upset? Not only that, she's spending every night at home alone. Why? Because her husband has a skin disease that has driven him away from any relation with friends, wife, anybody, and now they think he has some kind of leprous disease or whatever, and he's, he's living out in, in the city dump. Do you think that this woman is getting depressed? Do you think she's lonely? Do you think she's worried about her husband? Uh, It's it's kind of foolish for us to think that all of a sudden, uh, because we hear her say her famous words there in verse number 7, that uh, I think it's verse 7 or verse 9, curse God and die, it's really foolish for us to think that we believe that all of a sudden she just don't love Job anymore and she hates the guy and she starts telling him negative advice. She loves this guy and I believe that she's just as faithful to him as, as any other wife would be. I mean, she has... She has borne at least ten children to him. I don't know. There might be, have been more after that. I don't know. But at least ten children have been born uh, through her. And, and, and she, she loves her husband. But yet, but yet she catches the raw end of the deal a lot of times. So let's just think for a moment that she's really laying there at night by herself and she's running over every possible thing in her mind that she could do to help get her husband out of this situation. So what's the one thing that the devil's going to use against her? I've told you guys this before, and I'll never forget. Brother John preached a message one time. There was a man, Eric Torres, that came to church with us a long time ago. He was one of the greatest artists I've ever seen in my life. This guy could take a pen and draw anything and make it look like it was going to walk off the paper. He was amazing. But he drew a picture for Brother John. He preached a message called The Battle for the Mind. And you had this brain, and there was a knot tied in the middle of the brain with two pieces of rope like a tug of war, there was an angel on one side and there was a, the devil on the other side pulling the battle of the mind. This is where it all starts, isn't it? So do you think that Satan was using the battle of the mind against Miss Joe? She's at home thinking about where her husband is, this great guy who now has been uh, just depleted of everything that he has. He's lost everything and now he's out there in the city dump scraping his sores with with a piece of pottery. You know, he's trying to itch and dig the maggots out of his arm. You think that maybe in her mind she's trying to think of what can I do to get him out of his misery? What's the one thing the devil tells her to say? Curse God and die. Why does he tell her to use those words? That's what he told God. Because that was the bet. That was the bet. The bet between God and Satan. Satan says, "You give me the opportunity to afflict him, The words that the devil used, skin for skin. When you afflict somebody at that point, they will give up everything to save their self. And so, God says, okay. So he says, she says, curse God and die. Not because she hates God. I I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe she's doing it because she's not a believer. This is Job we're talking about. Job, the same man who got up All the time in the mornings at the ends of the week, what did he do for his children? He went and made sacrifices for them. He wanted to make sure that his family was right with God. There's no doubt that this woman didn't understand and believe in this God that Job served. I don't think that she didn't hate, I don't think that she hated God or that she despised God. I think that she loved her husband so much that she was grasping for any straw that she had. And so, Job. Cursed God and die. Let's see what happens with that. Well, Job didn't do it. Now, what I'm going to be talking to you about tonight, kind of what I've titled this, is Wisdom for Husbands. Since we're all, we're all men here, I know not all of us are, have been married, maybe not married right now, maybe you're on your way to getting married, whatever. But I believe this is good wisdom for all of us because Job teaches four significant lessons in the way that he counsels his own wife in the situation that he's in. And we, we might not even get to the friends. We might not even touch them. But we're going to touch some pretty important scriptures here uh, because whenever whenever all the pressure was put on Job, whenever everything, all the pressure was brought to him, he didn't bend, he didn't break, he didn't bow. You understand? He didn't give up to any of those things. Just like the three Hebrew children that Nebuchadnezzar was wanting to bow, they wanted them to bow down to him and worship him. They said, oh king, we're not going to bow down to you. Even if our God doesn't deliver us from your hand, we are not going to bow down to you. Why did they say that? Because it would be better for us to die now and go on to be with God and enjoy the goodness of glory with God than to to enjoy the, the lustrous living with you for just a little while. And if we can get that thought in our heads tonight, guys, that us giving up the the pleasures of a moment for eternity is worth it. It's worth you giving up the the stuff that's, that's very material right now for a little while, suffering now for just a little while, if you want to use that word, to enjoy all of the righteousness and the joys and the glory of heaven. Brother John?
2: I was just thinking when you said that about Job, like he's the last guy on earth that really trusts God yet. And it reminded me that God has always had a remnant. Yes, even he always down has to one. Yeah. You know, you go in the New Testament, Paul, he always had a remnant. There was always somebody that stood for God beyond any expectation.
0: Right. But you know, Brother John, that's the point of what we're going to talk about tonight. How that when everything got really, really bad, even when Job was down to this point in his life. He still held on to his faith. He didn't let it go. So look at look at verse 9 and 10 again. Somebody else, if you will, open your Bible up and read verse 9 and 10. We're going to recycle these two verses so that we can have an understanding of what's actually happening here.
1: His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble?" In all things Job did not sin by what he had said. Now the
0: leadership, in my opinion, guys, the leadership that Job shows here is a leadership that every husband should strive to obtain. Alright, and I'm going to try to unpack this. I've said it many times before that God has created men to be the spiritual leaders of the home, spiritual leaders of the church. Whenever Those of you guys that were here with me in the very beginning, Whenever I began to try, to, and I don't mean to say I as if I'm the one that done it. It was several of us that done it. But when we began to try to grow a men's group here, there was just a few of us. I remember growing up in a church, Brother John the pastor, and there were only three men there. He was one of them. The other two was David DeVille and James Irby. All the rest of them were just women. The men didn't see, for some reason, they did not see their role. They didn't understand their role. So while I'm saying that, let me just put a plug in here because people ask me all the time, what's the point of the men's retreat? Why do y'all keep doing this? The whole point of our men's retreat is to help men find who they are in Christ and help them recognize their God-given role as men. Period. That's it. I don't care if you ever come to New Life Church, but I'd love for you to go somewhere. It's not about growing our church. But what you've heard me say before is that whenever, if you want to see the strength and the health of church, of a church, any church at all, walk into the church when it's at its fullest capacity on a Sunday morning, Easter, whatever—not Easter—any Sunday given Sunday morning, less visitors there, and count the back of the heads of the men. Depending on how many men are there in that church, will show you the strength of that church spiritually. Why do I say that? Because all the way down through the Bible. God has placed the responsibility of spiritual leadership in the home first. He created the home first. He did not institute the church first. In the home first, He gave it to the man. He wanted it to be that way. But yet, we have abdicated our, our responsibility down through the years, and we've just kind of kind of just passed it off and sloughed it off like it wasn't anything. I believe with all my heart that women's lib was part of the reason for this. Women's lib comes along, and this is what my grandma said. She said, whenever women started wearing bras, everything went to hell. In her mind, like that's when it brought everything together. I don't know if you can necessarily agree with that, but that's what grandma said, all right? In other words, she was saying that whenever, when women's lib started coming around and and, and women wanted to start having the role of the man, you know what the man did? The man said, here you go. If you want it, you can have it. And so they passed it off and let them have it. Not necessarily because they didn't want to do their job as men, but because they're just sick and tired of fighting over it. They're not going to fight anymore. And so then, when when the woman has that responsibility now, and the man sits back and does nothing, then they gripe at you for not doing anything. Well, we want you to make some money. I want you to have $100,000, 150000 plus a year. Okay, honey, but I can't make that in Bastrop, Louisiana. I'm going to have to go offshore. I'm going to have to travel. Uh, But I want you home every day. Well, which one do you want? You follow what I'm saying? There has to be this balance there. The good thing about God is that God created a perfect balance. He created a man and He created a woman from part of the man. And He didn't say that the woman would be the head of the wife. I mean, that the woman be the head of the husband. It says that she was going to be his helper. And she was going to come along and start helping. But the Bible says in the book of Genesis that after they sinned, there was a curse that came. Part of that curse, God says to the woman, He says, your desire will be for your husband. A lot of people think desire, man, that means sexually. Who's she's going to want me? No, that's not what it means at all. It means that she will crave to have the position that the man has. She will always crave that position. Challenge to you. Go look down through history and see if it has not been so. That they have craved the position of the man, and they've always strived to get it. Part of the reason that we have the problems in the world that we have today is because we as men have let our positions go. We let it go. You know what we do? We sacrifice our children. We sacrifice our families. You know what we sacrifice them to? The NFL, college football, high school football, NASCAR. We give it away to cable TV and the lazy boy with a remote. We sacrifice them because it's easier for us to sit there and do nothing. We go hunting all the time and we're never with our family. We go fishing all the time and we're never with our family. It's okay for you to do those things, but my God, set some time out of your schedule to spend time with your family. Because if you lose your family, you lose everything else. You have to break away from the trick that Satan is trying to trick you with about you going and doing and being with everybody else other than the ones he's put you in charge of. Job comes in right here and in the midst of everything that he's doing, in all the heartache and all the struggle and all that he has going on, he comes in and he gives us wisdom. He gives us direction. Does Job show signs of spiritual leadership? Does he, does he show any, any good signs at all of, you know, maybe I ought to pay attention to what he did here? Let's talk about a few practical things. And I'm just going to talk about four things that I see right off the bat. Let's look at the very first one. What I believe Job is trying to tell us is, His wife comes up to him and she says, are you still maintaining your integrity? In other words, do you still continue? You're still putting up with this? She says, curse God and die. What I want to show you here is that Job teaches us that we should listen. We should listen well. And we should always tell the truth to our wives. Listen to what I'm telling you. You guys that aren't married, never been married, Listen to what I'm telling you. If you're just newly married, and if you've been married for a long time and you hadn't done this well, listen to me. Listen well. Contrary to male chauvinist opinion, in the roughest of times, your wife will have some of the best wisdom that you can ever hear. God doesn't call her your helper for nothing. You know why? What does what a, a man do when he gets mad, bro? Punch his hole in the wall? Crush beer cans on his forehead? You know, go to the gym? Just bench press till he can't get enough? You know, we we exert that. But but why do we... Why is that rage inside of us, bro? Why is it there?
1: It's in you. I,
0: I play ball with you, I know. But why is that inside of you? God made you. You know what God did to every one of us? He planted a tiger inside of you. You know, you don't have to tell a boy what a monkey bar is, Daniel. He'll make a monkey bar out of that door facing. He needs no help. He don't need any help to let you know how a truck sounds. He knows, brum, brum. He knows what a motorcycle does. The kid knows what bulldozers are for. He creates excavators with silverware. You understand? Why is it that a boy knows those things? Because God planted it inside of him. You know why we lose those things? Because we want to take it and we want to tame it down and we want to say, "Look, you you don't you don't do this. We're going to sit you in this classroom and we just want you to sit here for 8 hours all day long and never move. Don't do anything. God didn't create that. He created a man, he created a boy to take care of responsibilities. That's where the energy is inside of you. So if God created rage inside of you, this this want to, that whenever something bad happens to your family and you automatically react to it, you'll be like Tony wanting to take somebody and snap them like a twig. You know why God put that inside of you? Because He wants you to be a protector. But He wants you to do it in a way that's right. He doesn't want you to lose your mind. And so, when we have this deal going on and, and bad things start happening and we start sensing these things, you have to know how to act and how to react. You've got to be able to listen. Part of the key to a happy marriage is being able to listen even when you don't want to listen. One thing that I do, you can walk into my bedroom right now. I have a chair that sits beside my bed. Why? Because when I need to talk to my wife, if I lay down, there's not going to be much talking going on. I'm going to go to sleep. But if I sit down in that chair and she talks, I can sit there and listen. And those of you that have heard me long enough, you know that she don't want you to fix everything. She just needs you to listen sometimes. Now, think about what Job does. He listens intelligently to what she says. I don't know how long he sit there and rubbed his beard or, or scratched his sores. I don't know. We don't know how long he thought about it. But what I do know... In, I can't say that I know this. What I am assuming because of what I'm reading here is that he pondered the words of his wife. The reason we know this is because look at the response that he gave. He didn't misunderstand what she said and he didn't ignore her. That alone places Job in a unique category. Let's just be honest, alright guys? It's not that we are hard of hearing. Honestly. We're hard of listening. We're hard of listening. Because you know what we do? We say, Oh man, I've heard this before. She just keys up, hits the right note. Oh, I've heard this story before. I've listened to this song before. And just be for real. We are masters at ignoring. Selective hearing. We are masters at it. You is it just me, or can can you two get you guys too? Can you be in your chair in the living room? Everything, like, like literal all hell breaking loose in your house. And you're, you're just zoned out. Some of you guys that were in my marriage class Sunday, I talked to you about the nothing box. Every man has a nothing box. You can literally go to that box and think about absolutely nothing. They did a test on men, a, a scientific test at the University of Phoenix. They hooked wires up to the guy's head, and the guy zoned out. They thought the guy died. The brain activity completely flatlined. They thought that he died. They hollered in there at him and the guy woke up. He has the ability to think about nothing. Women can't do it. Am I I the only one that's like that? Or everything else going on in the house? And you can ignore it and never hear a word that was said. You're scrolling, watching the news, watching Facebook, watching a ball game, watching some sport on TV, whatever it is, and you can zone it all out. A woman can't do it.
2: And can answer when she asks you a
0: question. Be like, uh-huh, and not hear a word she says. Yeah, but you're saying, uh-huh, and she's like, you didn't hear nothing I
2: said. And I
0: think that's a lot of times why we get in trouble because the women aren't that stupid. We, we think they're stupid, but they lay out this plan when you get busy and, you, and she knows that you're zoned out and she says, hey, you care if I spend $100,000? Uh-huh, okay. Okay. And she goes and spends $100,000 and says, well, you said I could. I ain't never said that, right? Uh, well, you did. I recorded it. Here it is. You know? So you get yourself in trouble. But look at what Job did. You know, Job, Job listens. And, and and most marriages have have difficulties, don't they? Let's just face it. All right, do you know why marriages have difficulties? It's not just because she's a woman. Because <laughs> we're zoned out. <laughs> it's because there's a short in the wire, isn't it? But the reason we have marriage problems, guys, is because there's two two imperfect people living under the same roof. And whenever there's two imperfect people, there's going to be imperfect things that happen, and you're not always going to see eye to eye. You're not always going to agree. So it's it's not the best thing to do to just zone out and not pay attention. Now, when we need to understand, and what we need to understand is that there are crucial times in a marriage, crucial times in a relationship, and you need to be paying attention to it. So what I'm trying to tell you, do is listen. Try to listen. And listen to what's being said. Why? Because when you listen, it gives you the opportunity to speak the truth. And this is the second part of what I'm telling you on this first point. We might not even get through with these points tonight. I don't know. Always tell the truth, guys. Always. Another one of my observations is, For 16 years, I've been doing this for pastoring. I've been counseling couples of whatever. One thing I believe is one of the hardest things that we do, or don't do, is that we don't tell the truth to each other. A lot of times, and I want to be sure I get this across right, but a lot of times, I think we're afraid to really say what what we're feeling. Sometimes, I think we as men and my daddy was guilty of this. And I try not to be. But I can never remember a time whenever my dad... My dad would be 63 today, by the way. Today's his birthday. 63 years old. Been gone. August would be five years he's been gone.
2: Really?
0: Been 5 be five years. Yeah, don't, it don't seem like it. But I never saw my dad ever sit down and have a legitimate conversation with my mama. He never sat down and had those conversations with me and Jackie. So I was telling Justin today, I pray for for you guys that you still have your dads. One of the prayers that's on my heart all the time is that we would be able, that you, I can't anymore, I don't have a father, but that you would be able to have such a relationship with your dad that you aren't afraid anymore to talk about the real thing. Because our dad intimidates us. My dad intimidated me. He's a big burly guy. I can see I I intimidate my son. And I don't I don't in a way I want to be that way because whenever I say something, I want him to know that I mean what I say. But at the other time, I want him to know that whenever he can come talk to me, I want him to be able to come talk to me. So I pray for you guys to know that that you need you need to be able to work towards getting to a place to where you can talk about the spiritual things with your dad. The things that really matter. You know, fishing, hunting, changing your oil, man stuff, that's all good. But what really matters is being able to talk about life. Real life. What's going to happen to you when you die? You know, I hate to say it, but it was only until the last three three weeks of my dad's life that I ever spoke to him about his relationship with God. I was this past man. I was this pastor for ten years. I never really talked to him. I, I knew my dad was saved, but I never had those those deep talks. So when you when you start to listen to your wife, when you start to listen to your kids, come to that place to where you talk about the real thing. Be honest. It's okay for you to be vulnerable. It's okay for you to look like. Oh, you know, I'm not I'm not the big macho guy. Thank God. You know, it gets sickening sometimes to just be around macho guys all the time. You know, I want to I like I like to see a guy who's just real, who's like, you know, I don't know how to do this. I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm I'm lost here. I don't I'm not going to make it if I if I don't come to this point or that point. Part of wisdom is knowing what you don't know. And you have to come through that, and I and I fully believe that what what Job did right here. Look at what he did. This woman comes in and she says, "You're you're still putting up with this. Why don't you curse God and die?" And I believe with all of my heart that Job's sitting there thinking, he's like, "This this is poor counsel. This is not this isn't right." You know, maybe he's pondering his thought, and he's like, "I, I can't agree with her." We know that he didn't agree with her. Because he looks at her and he says, you're talking like a stupid woman. He doesn't call her wicked, but he does call her foolish. He said, you are talking like a foolish woman. Somebody that that thinks that there is no God and that we don't have anyone to answer to. Speak truth. Guys, listen. You are not always right. And guess what? Your wife isn't either. But you know what? If your wife is coming to you and giving you advice and she's trying to to help you, be man enough, be comfortable enough in who you are in Christ to say, you know, I don't agree with that and I don't think that's right. And the reason I don't think that's right is because of this. And you know where you're going to get that because of this part? It's going to be because you've spent time here in God's Word. And whenever you spend time right here in God's Word, you're going to know. You're going to say, well, you know, I know good godly counsel because I've been applying this to my life. I've been reading it. I've been studying it. And I know that whatever this is that's happening, and I'm thinking like I'm Job, whatever this is that's happening to me, The one thing that I do know is that I know God's sovereign. That's all that Job said. Look at his theology. Look right there in verse 9, guys. What does he say right there in verse 9? He said, Are we supposed to accept all the good things that God has to offer? Is that 9 or 10? 10? Verse 10. Do we accept all the good things that God has to offer and we reject the bad things? Job's saying are we are we supposed to enjoy all the good Christmases that we had because we had enough money to buy everything, but when we have when we don't have as much and we can't buy our kids as much, are we not still supposed to enjoy that because we have each other? Do we blame God because we've come up short this this month? Do we blame God because well, you know my my health this month isn't as good as it was last month or last year. Do we just blame God because that's happening or do we ever just say say that you know that well you know my my responsibility is here too and what what is was was the sickness Job's fault and Job's responsibility no it wasn't but he said you know what if God sees fit to allow such things in my life I'm going to worship God anyway. And Job's Job's theology and Job's leadership and Job's training was basically saying that no matter what comes our way, guys, we are not here doing what we do because because we are are leaders in our community. We are not acting the way that we're acting because I'm the mayor or because I have the title of I'm the greatest man in the East. We're not doing this. Hey, you know what? A pastor friend of mine told me when he became a pastor, he said the first thing that he did, his kids were 8 and 10 years old. Whenever he sat down with his kids, he said, guys... We are not going to act the way we act because I am now a pastor. We're going to act the way we act because we believe in God and we are Christians. Period. I thought that was some of the wisest counsel he could have ever given. You know why we don't reject what comes our way? is because we know who we are in Christ first. And if we know who we are in Christ, we know who we are in God, it doesn't make any difference what comes our way or not. Because we know what we know and whenever you don't know other things you go back to what you do know what is it about god that you do know i want to hear you i want to hear from you when you think you don't know all right when you don't have the answer when you can't explain it away whenever you can't say i don't know why this is happening to me right now i don't know why there's cancer i don't know why My dad died at 58 years old. Kobe, I don't know why your dad had to go through that. Do you? We don't. Do you blame God for it? I've not yet blamed God for that. It's not God's fault. It's sin's fault. It's sin. It was the choice that was made way back in the Garden of Eden to allow sin into this world, and we all have to suffer from it. But we don't have to suffer eternity for it. You follow? So, let me hear from you. When you don't know... What is it about God that you do know?
2: You listen, know brother Jerry. You brought that question up. I'm thinking about the verse, I don't, I don't know what it's in Psalms. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God.
0: Yes, from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. So when you don't know, that's what you do know. Yeah. Right. Brother John.
2: Uh, I was thinking about what you were saying and what Job is said here in the New Testament. Jesus said, "It's easy to love people that's lovable. Yeah. Job and Job's wife, everything. But he's, he's saying, hey, I'm going to love God when things aren't great just as well as I love God when things are going great. Because he's still God. He's still
0: God. So whenever whenever you don't know, Brother John, what do you still know?
2: I still know God loves me. Who else? We know that all things work together for the good. Then we love God and call
0: for the You wouldn't know that if you didn't read the Word. Right? right. You wouldn't know that Scripture. We know that all things work together for good to those that are called according to His purpose, right?
1: Even the bad things.
0: Yeah. What was you going to say?
1: God's in control. Like, God God loves me more than I love me.
0: God loves me more than I love me. Yeah.
1: And 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 when I'm in the junk, in the pits, you know, it's, it's, it's like, okay, uh, Lord... Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for being in control. Thank you for loving me enough to do what's best for me. Because if it was up to me, I wouldn't choose this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there would be a lot of lessons that would be dodged, Justin, if it was left up to us. We would always choose the path of least resistance. Always. Always.
2: You know, Paul had the mindset that he lived from adversity to adversity. Yeah. And I think that God conditioned him next one. Right. And I think he conditioned Job down through his life to meet this head on. But
0: does he not do the same with us?
2: Yes.
0: He does. Yes. And and I you know whenever whenever I was thinking about this I remembered back to JJ Jasper. Some of you might listen to 91.9 which is American Family Radio. JJ has been a long-time DJ on there. JJ lost his son. His son's name was Cooper. Cooper was in a uh, a little little accident on an ATV like a go-kart or something. It flipped and it broke his neck and he died. And he was probably, I think it was 8 or 9, maybe 10 years old. And, and in his book, he wrote this, and I, I won't quote it verbatim, but he says, when I don't know and when I don't understand, I always go back to what I do know. He said, and I do know, the Bible says that no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, God says that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll always be right there with you. You know what he told Isaiah to write? Though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Though the waters try to sweep over you, they're not going to drown you. You know, he says that that even though these bad things happen, you're going to be there. And then the psalmist David, he wrote this in the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of all of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You, you do all these things. In other words, David is saying that no matter how bad things get, God is still the provider for His people. He always will be. So even though I didn't get to the all the rest of it, guys, I want to just back up and clarify this. We have to listen. And we have to tell the truth. Always be willing to do that. Always be willing to stand up and do what's right. Because you as a husband, you as a man, you've been called to be the leader. Accept your role as the leader and go with it. And if you don't know how, if you don't know how, trust me, doing what you're doing right now is going to help you learn. All right? Keep doing it. And Brother John, that's my point. I think sometimes we do that to get out of the conversation. Right. We just agree, go along, to get out of the conversation instead of getting into the emotional situations. Yeah. We as men have to get to the place to where we are willing to wade off into that pool even though it gets emotional. He could have. He could have. He could have. Let's have prayer. Lord, I love you and I thank you for giving us this time to be here. I thank you for the lesson, Lord. and even though as simple as it is, it's so important. And we need to hear it and we need to understand it. I pray, God, that every one of us as men, as fathers, uh, as, as uh, husbands, God, as mentors, as just, just role models in other, other people's lives, God, that we would be able to live our lives in a way that shows that even when we aren't sure about some things, there's, there's one thing that we can be sure about, and that's who our God is. You are sovereign. You are mighty. And, Lord, you are divine, and you deserve our praise. And I pray, God, that in everything that we do, our lives would show that. And everything that we uh, do as far as our work, our play, wherever we go, the way we live our lives, that it would always show that we serve a God who is in control. I pray, Lord, that you would just lead God and direct us and bring us back again, Lord, just ready to worship and serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.